1: Welcome to the podcast.
0: Welcome back, Justin. Welcome back, everyone.
1: How's it going, Lindsay?
0: I'm pretty excited. I mean, I'm always excited, but this is a special episode.
1: Yeah, we've been kicking around this idea for, I want to say, a couple years. We've talked about doing something like this.
0: Yeah, it's mainly a few of these movies we're going to be talking about. We've we've always wanted to do an episode on them, but we're like, you know, will someone want to listen to devote an hour and a half listening to about this particular movie. So we just put them all together. Yeah. And you guys are going to learn something that Justin and I, one of the many things that brought us together for this podcast, um, this is just one of them and that we love a good trashy thriller psychodrama.
1: Especially if it was uh, created in the 90s. Yes. And (laughs) so this is a very special episode. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, these type of obsession thriller dramas um, from the 90s we'll we'll talk about some other movies too that are outliers but we're gonna get into this pretty quickly here since this is a special episode we're not going to do a murray moment or a pick of the week like we normally do because we've got a lot of movies to cover and this isn't going to be so much a behind the scenes of these movies this is going to be us kind of a little more looser episode we really have a love for this genre not to say we didn't do a lot of work for this episode because we, we created, you know, graphs and charts and really there's a science to it. We created our own rules because we had to pare this down to like, you know, less than 10 movies. Otherwise, this would be like a five hour podcast. So we basically created these rules of how are we going to fit all these movies into what we're going to talk about. And so we came up with about eight or nine rules. And it's like if these movies fit our set of rules, then they would be part of the compiled list of movies that we'll be talking about yeah. During this episode, and just in case, dear listener, if you are unsure about what we're even talking about, if you're unfamiliar with '90s thrillers, number one on our list here is "Hand the Rocks to Cradle." But we'll be getting into Alicia Silverstone in "The Crush," Drew Barrymore and "Poison Ivy," Bridget Fonda in "Single White Female." There's so many of these movies that
0: oh, I'm already getting chills. Yeah, right. We're, we're going
1: to talk about. <laughs> it's going to be a fun time.
0: There are so many 90s thrillers that have to do with serial killers or true crime and th- like that sort of vein. Um, even, you know, Silence of the Lambs, that's a thriller. Um, Copycat, we've talked about that as a as a great thriller from the 90s. But this is really the blank from hell, the person who has an undying obsession. we got to pare it down though because there's a lot of different veins that you can go off into and this is where we, we both agreed upon these are some of our favorites.
1: And when we say the blank from hell, this isn't a term that we- we created this is something that you can find uh on the internet but it's the you know blank from hell aka the neighbor from hell Mm -hmm. the landlord from hell the (laughs) stepfather from hell yeah yeah, you know so on so on so on uh where these movies use the same kind of tropes but they just omitted the uh whatever the character would be if it was the babysitter or the you know the uh postal carrier from hell
0: oh that needs to be made now we're not saying that this genre this particular you know psychodrama thriller started in the 90s it was not and we're not going to be doing a history breakdown like what we did with our 420 marijuana episode special like that was a whole history of marijuana and movies we're not going to do that a lot of tropes and themes are reused in these films that we're going to be talking about. But focusing on a particular kinds, it really does illustrate how different they are, and we're going to show the things on how they're similar.
1: Yeah. So let's lay out our rules. We'll reference these throughout the episode, so that way we don't want you to get Mm -hmm. lost or have to rewind. Lindsay, you did a great job of printing out these rules for us so that we could uh, stick to our own rules here as we talk about these films.
0: And Justin was not joking when he said we did our research. I mean, I I lost count of how many... Blank from Hell movies that I watched. Some, you know, fit our rules, and some didn't. But doing all of that research helped hone these uh, top ten rules that we have here.
1: There were a few movies that they were literally on the line here. Yeah. You know, they got omitted because there was one or two rules that they didn't uh, quite hit on. Mm-hmm. um But again, we we had to we had to create a bunch of rules because otherwise, you know, we'd have like two hundred movies we'd be talking about, and I think we have it pared down to eight movies now.
0: Yes. We're, yeah. d- we're down to eight movies. Ten and- rules, eight movies.
1: Yeah. Well, let's get into these rules, Lindsay. The number one rule that's not even in our rule of ten rules is that we wanted it to stick with the 90s because the majority of these movies we're talking about took place, and th- yeah. that was the era in which we both were sort of like inoculated with these films.
0: Later on, we'll get to the outliers and the things that do work and kind of don't work, but let's go
1: here. What's number one? Okay, number one, and these are not in any particular order, but number one obviously the story must have to do with obsession
0: i mean duh it has you know as a
1: baseline you know obsession with somebody obsession with uh trying to gain some sort of uh possession person personality whatever Mm -hmm. um that's usually the basis of the movie number two the story must be from the good person's point of view now some of these movies you may say wait a minute is this person actually good in our eyes they are
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have to pick someone, for the most part, it's going to be from the victim's point of view, the protagonist. protagonist. Yeah. Really, just that rule alone, you can look at a lot of these movies, and I think that the trend is changing to where it's now it's coming from the, you know, villain's point of view, more so than the protagonist. But this is a hard uh, rule that we have to stick to for this. Yeah. The, the main storyline has to come from their point of view.
1: Number three, the obsessed person, a.k.a. Antagonist must insert themselves into the life of the person with whom they are obsessed. And that's a clear sign in all these movies. Some person weasels their way into the life of another person and then uh, slowly dismantles it.
0: And sometimes, usually, it's under the guise of, of being a positive change in, in their life or, or sometimes uh, pretty innocent.
1: Number four, these characters must impact each other's lives.
0: So... We have to make some sort of a difference. I mean, that kind of is a a no-brainer. But in this case, it's going to be pretty dramatic.
1: Yeah, for the good or the bad. Impact for the good or the bad. Generally, it's for the bad in these type of movies.
0: And are we talking about during the course of the movie, negatively impacting them? Or at the end of the film, have they grown? Has the protagonist grown?
1: These rules are very flexible, like you said. (laughs) Number five, the antagonist must kill at least one person the protagonist knows. Doesn't have to love them, but has to know them. No. You know, could be their assistant, their mail carrier. At some point in the movie, one of these people is going to have to die.
0: There was one of these, which I'll probably talk about it later, I thought was going to totally fit in this genre. And then the villain didn't actually kill anyone. They killed someone 20 years prior. They fit almost all the rules except for that one.
1: Number six, the aggressor is generally a manipulator.
0: I mean, you have to be. Yeah. You have to be. If you're obsessed and you're trying to control somebody, you're a manipulator. There,
1: there's there's more than white lies happening in all of these films. Oh, definitely. Number seven. In general, the antagonist is new to the protagonist's life. And this is where a couple of movies got kicked out because it can't be someone that they knew previously. Like, the good son was so close. It was on the line. It, it followed all these rules except for... He knew the antagonist already. They were already cousins. They already knew each other. Number eight, the antagonist will probably be spying at some point.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, through the tree, window gazes, probably coming down a chimney. Yeah, maybe. All, and
1: all these movies were pre-social media. So this is all usually in-person spying, you know.
0: That's true. It's not it internet be, stalking or no, anything like that. No, no, this like is that. like
1: straight up like staking out in a car to watch people's uh, daily routines.
0: And when you think about it, even nowadays, like internet stalking, will say is just as creepy as sitting outside it somebody's is, window. But
1: not as much. it Doesn't take as much effort and dedication. It
0: doesn't, you know what? <laughs> that is a really good point. The dedication, yeah. of the obsessed people in this pre-social media. I mean, sometimes you just got to give them a little bit of a clap.
1: They're putting. They're the, putting aside a lot of extra time in their lives.
0: The time and dedication yeah. it takes
1: number nine the protagonist's life will almost be ruined massively embarrassed or thought to be the crazy one which happens you know time and time again where the the actual person who's quote unquote crazy makes all the friends and loved ones around the protagonist uh seem like they're the one who's actually losing their marbles
0: yeah i think out of uh all of the rules. I can identify with this one, I feel like, the most. Feeling that you're losing your mind when you're like, this person's obviously terrible, but yet I'm the crazy one because I'm yeah. pointing it out.
1: Basically gaslighting. is Totally what gaslighting, yeah. yes. And number 10, and this is this is a loose one, this is a loose rule, but generally a pet is introduced in the movie, and you're pretty certain something's going to happen to that pet. Keep you know, keep an eye on the dog. You, in all these movies, if there's a pet, it's going to appear, and you're going to you're going to want to check does the dog die.com if you haven't seen the movie before, which I do constantly.
0: And for two people who do check that website and um, are affected uh, by animals dying in movies, it is kind of interesting that we like this genre, you know. I think Ginger Snaps was the only movie that we gave a pass as yeah. far as how much animal violence was in that, but there there are some really ruthless animal deaths in yeah. this genre.
1: There are. So I'm assuming at this point, our listeners have memorized all these rules Mm -hmm. by heart. They've got them, you know, listed out. They've been writing them out. Yeah, making notes. So we're going to jump right into it. And the movies that we're covering here, I I I won't say that we love them all, you know, but we we admire them for like...
0: What they represent.
1: What they represent, which is hearing to our list of rules. Yeah. And unbeknownst to them, that they would eventually work their way 30 years later into... An episode where they followed all these rules to just a perfect T.
0: Yeah, and be all pretty different as far as like plot wise, pretty different.
1: And it was kind of hard to figure out like how, what order are we going to do these? So these are kind of in a random order, but we figured we'd have to kick off with one. And so we're going to kick off with our favorite. We were in both agreement here that this one. Not only fits all these rules, but we absolutely enjoy it. There's there's little that we don't like about this movie, and that's the hand that rocks the cradle.
2: The Bartels couldn't believe how fortunate they were to find Peyton. I adore children, Mrs. Bartel. I love being with them. I, I love taking care of them. For me it's, it's the next best thing to actually being a mother but they didn't find her she seems terrific what's the catch there is no catch i think she's great she chose them you never let an attractive woman take a power position in your home all i'm saying is you have to watch her back now their innocence is her opportunity he has your eyes you know do you really think so their trust
1: faith's been greater has she I don't know what we would have done without her
2: is her weapon. If something
0: happens to my mommy, you take care of me. Of course
2: I would. And their destruction. There's only one woman for me. That's all you need. Her triumph. When your husband makes love to you, it's my face he sees. Get out of our house. She's turning at
1: me, Michael. Just like you said you would. Call the police. Claire, calm down.
2: You don't know what she's capable of. An Michael? What goes around comes around. Mommy! The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. It's my family. The hand that rocks the cradle.
0: All right. Hand that rocks the cradle. The interloper. The nanny from hell. This is starring Annabella Sciorra. Rebecca De Mornay, Matt McCoy, Ernie Hudson favorite on the podcast followed by another favorite, Julianne Moore, directed by Curtis Hanson, written by Amanda Silver, pretty big box office return for a female-led movie in 1982, grossed 140 million. I mean, that's That's,
1: that's pretty, pretty huge.
0: pretty good. Yeah. yeah.
1: And uh, Curtis Hanson went on to direct uh, what some people consider one of the best American-made films, L.A. Confidential. Yeah. And this movie is I've, I, you, right away you can tell it's like a solid director. I don't feel like there's many minutes that are wasted in this movie. A lot of times to me thrillers can get cat and mousey. Too much time really is spent on voyeurism or like chasing the person down or scare tactics and there's very little story whereas like this movie develops really really well. That's why it's my favorite of the bunch because not only is the story unfolding but we also get much more a clear motive of why Rebecca De Mornay wants to do harm to this family. Um a lot of times it's, you know, oh the person is just like mentally ill or something, but she actually has like real you know, not that she should ruin someone's life, but like, you know, she has like a drive, a motivation that yeah. seems plausible for this universe.
0: It does yeah it is a very believable reason and without I think we're gonna try to not have any total spoilers in this movie just for anyone out there who's not seen these movies or maybe it's been 30 years since you have um, but we want to give you a little bit of what happens in the movie to get you you know to get you going out and seeing these movies One thing that I found interesting on this revisit was that Annabella Shiora who's the main victim the the person who Rebecca De Mornay is looking to take down, Um, she is set up to be a victim from the very beginning. She is sexually assaulted by her gynecologist. She has debilitating asthma. And, I mean, there there are so many clues that that set you up to know, well, that's going to be a problem later on in the movie. Clearly, her asthma is going to come into play many times in this film. But one reason that "Hannah Rocks the Cradle is kind of Above a lot of these other ones is, is the motive for Rebecca de Mornay to become obsessed with this family, insert herself, and basically try to whittle everyone out of this family except for the children and the husband. It's pretty chilling and calculated how she does it, and each time there's a, a setup for her to conveniently take someone out it seems remarkably easy and believable and how she's able to just set it up and also has the forethought to be like calm about her murdering plots to make them all look like accidents so as far as the movie's uh, effectiveness you know is this story really going to happen in real life probably not but i buy the plausibility of rebecca de character having a legit reason to go a little yeah. nutso
1: Rebecca De Mornay. This one's, it's not so much creepy, but there are like, I think you use a good word, chilling. You know, there's like moments where she does such a great job of like being so warm and friendly. And then at the drop of a hat, like that all drains from her face. And she just has like these evil eyes and her tone of voice changes. And like, she becomes more authoritative. There's a particular scene where she uh kind of threatens Ernie Hudson's character. <laughs> oh God, who I was hoping you were going to mentally challenged and she really gets it's pretty you know for 2023 standards pretty rough
0: I sent you a video clip of this yeah. when I was rewatching. like holy crap Justin I forgot about it yeah <laughs> yes it is not kosher and in, in what she says in the movie I mean she's not supposed to be a good person so I think her saying things that are horribly insulting and really like hurtful to Ernie Hudson's character it makes sense for the type of person that she is
1: and i think of all the movies that we're going to talk about has probably one of the best lines out of all these (laughs) movies and that's when rebecca Dorney says fine i'll leave i'll just i just need to grab my baby and it's like (laughs) that
0: go it's such a record scratch just how she says it without any inflection yeah just is like that's fine i'll i'll be going i just need to grab my baby it's
1: pretty pretty vicious there's some like pretty intense uh like struggling that happens in this. I th- I feel like there's always a struggle in these movies, but this one has, uh, it's very tightly wound and really well staged.
0: Don't you wish Julianne Moore had a little bit more in this movie?
1: I do. She she doesn't, it's not a throwaway character, but she's just kind of clearly playing like the sarcastic kind of uh, bitter friend.
0: But she's also the one that gets the ball rolling. That's true. That something yeah. You know, something's wrong with this person or Yeah,
1: they... you know, we should have made a, a another rule. There should have been an 11th rule where at some point in the movie, one friend starts doing some digging, some research on the antagonist and finds out something isn't quite right. But I don't know if that happens in all these movies off the top.
0: It happens in The Crush.
1: But well, you know, we'll just know say it's happens a, in all we'll them. just say it's a an unwritten
0: unwritten rule. Rule. It's penciled in.
1: Yeah. And I think right now, just right, right now, I'm 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 saying that if you find a fallacy in one of our prior rules with one of these movies, the unwritten rule will make up for that. If it's only one, yeah. So this, the unwritten rule makes up for one rule that we might have like missed because we were covering so many movies. Yeah. I I, I feel like we're pretty. I'm, I feel like ninety eight percent airtight.
0: Yeah. There has been a, a certain science to what yeah. we've been doing. Yeah. Uh, my kind of final thought on hand that rocks the cradle is I love that it's a female driven movie I also like that the husband's kind of dumb and brain dead and and he should really like have a little bit more going on and the ending is very satisfying for Ernie Hudson lovers.
1: For me this is uh, a lot of the movies that we're covering in this genre are kind of trashy. This movie to me feels a more like prestigious version of these movies. Really really well made. Some top tier acting talent and This would be of any of these movies, if you're like, "Ah, I don't like this type of genre, I'd still recommend Hand that Rocks the Cradle because I just think it's a solid movie, whatever, you know, whatever way you want to say, call it for genre wise. Um, It's just a good movie. There's some of these movies, I won't lie, like every now and then I'll be like, "Ah, I I like the first act, you know, because that's where all the weirdness starts happening. But for me, this one, I'll see it all the way through.
0: I agree that it's it's classy. It does tease the trash though when it does. She has that uh, very see-through, wet white shirt on and is trying yeah. to seduce the There's brain-dead the- husband.
1: Yeah. Well. This didn't happen this way. Just that we, you know, we want to start out with our favorite one, but this is probably our second favorite of these movies. I swear this isn't any kind of the descending order, but it might be. It just you wrote these movies out, and I just said, "Hey, let's roll with how you wrote them out." So maybe you subconsciously mm-hmm. put them in an order that we like them, but I don't think we ever had that discussion.
0: I don't, no, we didn't have that discussion, but I, I do think that this we agree this is number two for yeah. us.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's single white female.
2: In this city, on this street, in this apartment. Hi, are you Allison Jones? I'm Hedra Carlson. Hedra, that's unusual. When can you move in? An ad for a roommate brought a stranger into Allison's life. Someone. That's beautiful. Aren't you? Who shares? What's kind of fun having a girlfriend again? Someone. Do you guys know when you'll be back? Uh no, it's kind of an anniversary tonight. Really? Who cares? Where the hell have you been? <gasps> Making me feel like I'm 16 years old here. Someone who borrows. I've got a surprise for you. You've gotta be kidding. I love myself like this. It was like looking at myself. It was scary. Someone who steals. Hey, sleepy guy. Allie? No, not Allie. Someone who would kill to be her. Possible blood spans. Gotta help me, Grim. She's a lunatic, Alley. She needs me. How do you lock the terror out? Don't let me come get you! When you already invited it in. Look out! Bridget Fonda. I know you weren't yourself when you did this thing. Jennifer Jason Lee. I know. I <gasps> was you. Single White Female. Living with a roommate can be murder. Be
0: careful. She's crazy. All right, Single White Female. The roommate from hell starring Bridget Fonda, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Stephen Weber, and Stephen Tobolowski, who we uh, talked about for a little bit there in uh, Groundhog Day. Director was Babette Schroeder, written by Don Ruse and John Lutz. This came out a little bit later in 1992 in August, and at about half the box office of Hand the Rocks the Cradle. But, you know, it's a completely different movie. A completely different vibe, look, storyline. Every, everything is different, but still... Yet falls into uh, this vein we're talking about. Yeah,
1: here. and I I think for I I think this is the another reason why this is one of my favorites of this genre is this one actually has a lot of creep factor and another one that's like really well made, well directed, um, really good chemistry between Bridget Fonda and Jennifer Jason Leigh. I enjoy their friendship sort of forming. And I love the character arc in this movie where Bridget Fonda, she's broken up with her boyfriend, but she's still like a pretty confident person, has her own style, her own personality. Jennifer Jason Lee is like very shy and, and timid. And then eventually they sort of like crisscross and then Jennifer Jason Lee becomes the dominant one. And Bridget Fonda is sort of, doesn't know what to do. She's sort of scared and like starting to get bullied by the Jennifer Jason Lee character. I, I love the way that they're, relationship crisscrosses throughout the movie and also has like again a very brutal struggle scene um the finale the the, not just the finale but like a couple struggle scenes but one with a a, like a a metal stiletto heel goes into an eyeball which uh is one of the few scenes of these movies that we watched where i kind of winced and like it's hard for me to um just anything going into an eyeball is is rough for me but like uh gigantic metal heels like ugh
0: um i'm just going to jump off of that and say that entire scene that entire scenario the the precursor to the high heel through the eye is Jennifer Jason Lee after she has now cut and dyed her hair to look like Bridget Fonda comes in and rapes Bridget Fonda's boyfriend pretending to be him it's it's like everything about that scene yeah. is completely terrible <laughs> And someone, it's amazing uh, that it was actually written.
1: Yeah, and there's something about mimicry here where, you know, mimicry can be, like, flattering. Like, oh, you know, everybody wanted to dress like Madonna, you know, because she was popular. But, like, someone who uh, becomes your roommate because you put out an ad um, within, like, a few weeks. They're, like, you know, starting to dress like you and take on your personality. And you have this very signature style hair that's, like, dyed and, like, cut a certain way. And then they, they come home with that haircut. Man, that would freak me the
0: hell out. <laughs> yeah, and it you know that's another admirable thing though about Bridget Fonda's character is that she doesn't really cower to her that much. Yeah, like, she, she once she, once she starts getting annoyed, she does kind of voice it a little bit. Even with the hair, is like I wish you just would have told me first. Yeah,
1: one of our rules we've got the the pet mm-hmm. in danger. Sequence. Uh, this is a rough one. There's a rough one, and, th- and then they incorporate a puppy, and you're like, "Oh man, what's going to happen to the puppy?" There, there's a couple moments in this movie because I hadn't seen it in a while, um, but I got sucked into it pretty quick, and I love the setup of this movie mixed with the title. It's really catchy, um, real eye grabbing, and I love that we do get this sort of like it's kind of like a hokey backstory of like why Jennifer Jason Lee is the way she is. It's still something that like gets worked in later in the movie, you know, because we do need to. There, there does need to be, like, a, a secret, something that's, like, hidden.
0: Yeah, and this isn't something that's throughout all of the movies. Sometimes we do have a backstory, sometimes we don't. With Rebecca de Mornay in Hand that Rocks the Cradle, I didn't feel bad at all. Her backstory, her reason why she became obsessed with this family. The reason that we're given in Single White Female, it, it does make me a little bit more sympathetic towards Jennifer Jason Lee's character. I'm not going to excuse at all anything that she does um, because it is clear that she has intense manipulative tendencies that whether it stemmed off from something from her childhood um, or not, there's not really an excuse for that. Um, And it seems also that she has an awareness about her problems and there's a very thin veil from where she is okay to where she's ticked off and has a problem.
1: Yeah. And uh, Stephen Tabalaski takes the whole uh, workplace sexual harassment to like a really just gross place, and in it's this like movie. Of, of all actors, yeah, like he, he's he can really turn it on, like the <laughs> the slime ball.
0: But yeah, exactly, he does a great job at doing that.
1: This movie, uh, like Hand the rocks the cradle, I, I recommend it um, to anybody if you remotely like the thr- thriller genre. You probably have already seen this, but if you haven't seen this one in a while, which was for me, I hadn't seen probably in like 10 years, and it was a really fun rewatch to get back into.
0: Yeah, I can get sucked into this one. And again, the climax of this one is pretty darn good. And it goes on for a long while, but it doesn't feel stale. It doesn't get, uh, I mean, I'm not really, you know, thinking that the villain is going to win out at any point, but it's it's pretty tension heavy.
1: Yeah. Well, from here, I'm not going to say that the pickings are getting slim, but I would say that there is there is a, somewhat of a dramatic drop-off in quality um, as as we lo- lower the ranks through these movies. I'm not saying they're bad. I mean, they made the no. list. Good or bad, they made the list because they followed the rules. That's, you know, yeah. But number three, The Crush.
2: Nick Elliott was looking for a nice, quiet place to write. He thought he found it with the Forrester family. Then he met Darian. How
0: much are they paying you to watch me?
2: Just running the guest house. From the moment she met Nick... You know how hard it is for me to make friends? It's like everybody thinks I'm some kind of freak or something. I'll be your friend. She was crazy about him. Darian's a very special girl.
0: Nicholas, darling! Oh, hi, Darian. It's my friend Amy.
2: My landlord's kid, Mary. She's got a crush on you. What, are you saying I did something to provoke this? Well, did you? At first, he was flattered. If you were ten years older... You'd what? You have to be the adult. You can't blur the line.
0: Wait a minute, wait a minute. I really like you, Darren.
2: I really like you, too.
0: No, I, I mean, as a friend. That's a big difference. Nick! Nick! (laughs) Darian! What are you doing? Making lemonade. No. Want some?
2: He's frightened. Miss me? Because if Darian can't have him, Darian, go play. No one can. I love you, Nick, and you love me.
1: You She's crazy. She's the one you
0: want to look up. The Crush. The Crush, a.k.a. the inappropriate love interest from hell, starring Carrie Elwes, Alicia Silverstone, Jennifer Rubin, Kurtwood Smith, and my favorite from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Amber Benson. As the exception to the rule, the best friend who comes in and is like, hey, I think my friend's a little messed up. Um, This movie came out in early 1993. Definitely didn't have the box office return as the first two we've talked about with just a little over 13 and a half million.
1: This movie makes me uncomfortable.
0: It does. I think that's its intention. I think you're supposed to feel uncomfortable.
1: The first half of the movie feels like it's trying to do like a Lolita type situation. Time and time again, I'm just like, oh, God, It's, it's really like cringy uncomfortable. Like you just want her to stop showing up at this guy's door and giving him compliments.
0: He's not entertaining it, but he's not squashing it either. And I think that that's where the uncomfortableness comes in. I I, I don't think that even had he squashed it and was like, look, kid, back off. I don't think she she ever would have.
1: And this is a tough one to watch in 2022. Uh, You know, and when (laughs) I saw this in the 90s, I was a kid. This was like the movie that started Alicia Silverstone's like, Gigantic heyday. You know, mm-hmm. she did this into the Aerosmith videos into Clueless. And so, of course, when I was a kid, I thought Alicia Silverstone was really attractive. Then, you know, watching this movie as a grown older man is, you know, I'm probably older than Carrie Elwes' character in the movie now. (laughs) It's really uncomfortable. That was a thing in the 90s, man. I don't know what the deal was. There was like several movies where I'm not even talking like a 17 or 18 year old girl, like they would be like 12 to 14, like with the professional and like beautiful girls. And Mm -hmm. there was like this sort of time in the 90s where it was like it's it's fine to have there be this sort of like weird crush situation (laughs) happening between and like a 30 or 40 year old man and like a 12 to 14 year old girl is like kind of gross
0: I will say that Carrie Elwes is pretty cute though in this movie I thought he was adorable when I saw this movie in 93 and I'm saying it's okay if I'm not saying it's okay I'm not saying it's okay I'm just saying I'm I'm gay and I was gay then and I thought that he was cute so I'm not saying I'm going to go and stalk him and like be sitting on his stoop or washing his car or something. But I think that that's the intention of this movie is to make you feel horribly uncomfortable. This was also written and directed by the same person, Alan Shapiro, which I I think is pretty interesting coming from a male perspective. And you must have really had a lot of heart to see this movie all the way through to go to the the levels of uncomfortability that he does. And with the Alicia Silverstone character, one thing that's different about her for being, I think she's supposed to be 14 in this movie. Mm-hmm. And she's also some kind of weird savant too. But that is, I think, how we're supposed to minorly excuse Elvis letting her into his life a little bit because she you know rewrites this really important article that he has and somehow this 14 year old rewrites this this article that's super important and gets the cover or something of whatever magazine he works for so I think that that is in the story supposed to be the reason why he's like okay you know I'm just gonna keep you at bay a little bit but he really could squash it a little bit. Like, he doesn't have to let her kiss him that one time. And it's cringeworthy. It, it, is. it really it, is. It,
1: This one, man, it's, it's, it's a tough watch. Having said that, Alicia Silverstone is, I think, what makes the movie... You could see when this movie came out, like, oh, wow, she's going to be a big star. Like, yeah. she has a presence and has a maturity that does make the movie watchable and cohesive and plausible, but at the same time... I, this is this is again not one I can recommend just because it's it, you know oh, if, if the, <laughs> uh, you know it's it's it yeah I know it, what you're it saying it falls on that you know if you if you're a fan of the Lolita movie or the the Jeremy Irons remake then the crush might be you know up your alley
0: by twenty twenty three standards this movie would probably be what canceled or something I,
1: it, I think it would be tough for this movie to get made but I don't know because or or they would reverse the genders if they did it now.
0: Oh, probably. Yeah. Ooh, would it be worse?
1: I mean, it would still be bad, but I just feel bad. like that would be more of a... Just to make it different, you know?
0: I very vividly remember the ending to this movie, like the uh, trailer that would run on HBO. Like, There's a really memorable punch to the face of Alicia Silverstone. And again, you know, punching a 14-year-old straight in the face, not okay. Yeah. Um. So there's a lot of things that don't really um, stand the test of time. But again, you know, it is a movie.
1: And this is a, another movie where, you know, she does, you know, makes it look like he sexually assaulted her by stealing his semen.
0: Oh my God. I and, uh, that's right. <laughs> you know,
1: a lot of length to frame somebody, you know, it's, this is, uh, not, this is the nineties. So it was like, there wasn't a way to like, you know, Angle the story of him being a... I mean, there's already... You could you could already make him look like a predator by just how much he's hanging around her, but then, uh, wow, stealing his semen to frame him to make it look like uh, he sexually assaulted her is like...
0: It's pretty dark. Yeah. And I don't think we have a backstory with her either. We don't have a reason for her being like this. Yeah. That makes it a little worse too. And I have written in my notes here that she plays one of the biggest pieces of shit teenagers of any movie I've ever seen and makes me really hate teenagers, but that just means she's doing a really good job. Yeah, Be- Because her, that behavior, the embarrassing things that she does trying to get his attention and trying to get into his life yeah. um and the gaslighting and the lying and all of that is is very teenagery when you are a manipulative teenager.
1: It is I'd still my takeaway of this movie is guys are still a piece of shit. (laughs) But but the way that the movie is framed and the way it was like developed still Mm -hmm. feels like it's trying to make her it's trying to be sexier than it should be for the content has not aged well, but um, does fall. It it followed our rules. um, And I did watch it. I watched all the movies on this list. This one, I probably had the hardest time with getting through.
0: I think that that is a valid criticism. That's
1: all I'm going to say about the crush from here.
0: Valid criticism.
1: So next up is a movie that I've been kind of talking up for, God, five years to you. Isn't that your favorite movie? I hadn't seen it (laughs) since it came out. But when I was like 14, 15, when this movie came out, I thought that it was so awesome. I thought Laura Flynn Boyle was like so attractive man this movie did not hold up to my expectations on this rewatch and that's the temp
2: may i help you i work here this is
1: my office
2: (laughs) oh mr durns i'm i'm chris boland oh yeah the temp
1: hello hey didn't you tell me you once fooled around with your secretary I have a temp. Who the hell's that? Quite a temp.
2: You want to call your husband and tell him you're working late? No. Chris, I don't get involved with my assistants. Maybe someday I won't be your assistant. Someone is leaking marketing strategy. Chris, you can get off now. Ron, how are you? She's got a hidden agenda, Raj. Don't we all? Do you think Roger was murdered? In case you haven't noticed, we're running out of executives around here. What are you doing? Come on, you have doubts about her, too. So it's still me. Tell me it isn't.
0: Is there a problem with your temporary?
2: No, just want to know a little bit about her. A man tries to get ahead in business, and he's ambitious. A woman tries to, and she's a slut. She wants to be my boss. Are you sure?
0: No, I'm not sure about anything. God, <laughs> Peter, can you
2: believe it? They made me a marketing manager. I got a temp telling me what to do? Don't you find that you respond to someone who cares desperately about something,
1: anything? I'm not selling secrets, Charlotte. Well, what are you doing, Peter?
2: What's going on? You have been acting like an insane oh, Somebody's trying to destroy me. For Peter Derns. Morning. It's time to wake up. Stop doing this to me! And smell the coffee. The Temp. You have a very active imagination, Peter. I see where it gets you in a lot of trouble. The Temp. The co-worker. The
0: assistant. The Temp from Hell. Starring some pretty big names here. We've got Timothy Hutton, Lara Flynn Boyle, Oliver Platt. Another entry by Stephen Weber, who is in Single White Female. Faye Dunaway. Great supporting role by Faye Dunaway here. And Laura Tierney. And a little bit part by Lynn Shea. You might see her pop in in the background. Directed by one of our favorites, Tom Holland. And written by Kevin Falls and Tom Engelman. This came out in February of '93 to not a lot of success. Actually, our, our biggest bomb on the list thus far.
1: I don't think this movie is outright bad, and I think that the box office failure of this movie might have been strictly because people were probably burnt out with this. This was one of the later films that came out in this genre. Most of the movies we're talking about came out prior to the temp, and it didn't really do anything new with the genre, but it did have, I think it attempted at least anyway, to do almost a parody of these movies there was a lot of black humor in this movie that you didn't find in the other films that we're talking about which i think makes it a little more original in some respects and a lot of that i think is due to tom holland because he infused that in his other movies child's play fright night which we love the movie thinner he played with the notion of doing thrillers but adding a little sense of humor to them and i think with this movie it just didn't really toe that line very well. And so stuff that I can't... Sometimes I couldn't tell if things were supposed to be unintentionally funny or if they were really going tongue-in-cheek, which I feel that they were, but it was sometimes hard to make out. And the movie does feel the most out of all of these movies kind of thrown together in how she inserts her way into this guy's life. And then also um, kind of the same thing with The Crush where is like almost this like amazing prodigy as far as like doing everything she does and she's able to help him out and things that don't seem humanly possible she can (laughs) help him accomplish what he needs to accomplish to work her way up the corporate ladder but it almost seems like there were too many ideas mixed into this movie whether they were making a some sort of statement on the corporate ladder or capitalism maybe I don't know it seemed like there was a lot going on this movie that didn't really work together
0: I think any type of tongue-in-cheek humor might have been lost on me i wasn't watching it like that for some reason to me what stuck out as far as tropes go is that we have this character timothy hutton who's starting out in crisis in his personal life and at work and the only person who can bring it back together this new person inserted into his life is this magical mystery woman that just appeared out of nowhere like with a lot of these movies, we see how this person stands out from the crowd. They're different in some way. And in this way, she's a prodigy, you know, like you said. But we see the very uh, early beginnings of her being a little off, like killing a hornet with her bare hand in the middle of like a corporate, you know, luncheon or something. You see these things start to build up. And any person in their right mind would go, that was a little odd. Hmm." Not just go, well, that temp is really something. She can just kill a bee at the luncheon. The idea of climbing the corporate ladder is something that people can identify with who are familiar with those workspaces. And she is just as effective at sabotaging from the inside as she is at her job. So in some ways, I mean, you know, she is really good at her job. Um, she's good at taking other people down. So I don't know. In some ways, I could see people aspiring to be like the Lara Flynn Boyle character. Um, I'm also impressed at her methodical body count of of the people that she kills. There's a
1: high body count in this one as opposed to the other movies. And
0: they're really inventive. Yeah. Aside from the inventive kills, there's one that's really unexpected where it's on a mass scale, like it's a product that this corporation puts out And somehow, it's not even said that she did it, but I mean, clearly she did. Somehow glass gets involved in these cookies that are being marketed. I don't know, like you don't see her at the plant putting glass into these cookies, but that's what's inferred. I have to give a little bit of applause for just how far you're going to go to sabotage someone else.
1: What this movie lacks in creepiness, which I think some of these other movies excel at, it makes up for in its trashiness. <laughs> yeah, this <it> movie <laughs> has a couple of really trashy scenes and uh Laura Flamboyle's just kinda like going for it. She's really methodical and tries to seduce Timothy Hutton's character. It and she's like in this like inner tube in, on the water. Oh yeah. And it she just comes off seeming like really, really um inappropriate, but in a way that kinda like turns them off and it almost in a way that like she was intending that. Yeah. It's a very bizarre scene. But somehow works and I still enjoyed this movie, but not as I, I know why I liked it when I was younger, because it is definitely like a less character driven movie and more of a let's get trashy, let's go for some kills. It's more of like a slasher film but dressed up as a this type of genre. Um but it still fits all of our rules.
0: It does. That scene in particular, the inner tube scene, what's great about it is that I think that she's intentionally doing it. And it's away from people. No one can prove what she's saying. And at this point, he's already kind of hip to her a little bit. And she's poking at him. That's one impressive thing about her character is how button pushy she is. And she yeah. is very confident and competent in herself.
1: And I think Laura Flamboy was like 21 when she did this movie. Really? Which is, seems really young for like how maturely acted yeah. the movie is. I mean, she really like leaves an impression.
0: She could have a little bit better hair in this movie. Yeah, it was the 90s. It's yeah, it's true. You know, That's true. What are you going to do? Um by 2023 standards, how do we feel this one uh, holds up?
1: I think it holds up okay. I think this is more of like if you're looking for just the the trashy version of one of these movies, mm-hmm. this is a go-to if you're a fan of Tom Holland. I think this is probably one of the last few movies that he made before he was not really putting out much stuff. Even though I don't think it's his best work, you can still see his influence and in some of his like creative choices in the movie.
0: This one also has the uh, unofficial 11th rule of the friend of the protagonist trying to help him and be like, I'm, I'm on to her.
1: Digging up some dirt. Digging up yeah. dirt,
0: yeah.
1: Well, now we're halfway home. Oh my God. Movie number five, one that I've watched many, many times, uh, no matter how ridiculous it is, I... You do enjoy it. I enjoy it every time. I love it. I love the buildup. I love um, Michael Keaton, at least at this time in his career, playing against Type in that specific heights. What do you think?
2: 750
1: grand,
0: huh? We'll fudge the numbers a little.
1: Yeah. You're just
2: a little bit nervous. We've never made this kind of investment before.
0: I know, I know.
2: This legal description of building. It's a wooden building with windows. <laughs> <laughs> So we rent the studio for
1: $1,000, and one bedroom for 1200 $1,300. You should go
2: up and down. Brand new gas stove, disposal, microwave. <laughs> you have to remember that this is an investment, Patty. It's not just an investment, it's our home. Mr. Palmer, right?
1: Goodman. Hi, Hi Carter Hayes. we
2: well, you did a beautiful job here.
0: When can I move in, Drake?
2: You don't even know him. You don't even know his real name. It isn't Carter Hayes. Mr.
0: Hayes?
2: Mr. Hayes? Is that you? Mr. Hayes? Hayes!
1: He's not like anyone else. He does whatever he wants. He's changed the locks. I
2: don't like this guy. Hayes' rent didn't come, did it? This is a sick individual, Miss Palmer. Look, I know you're in there. I can hear you in there if he's in he's got right this is all happening in our home mr hayes he's throwing away the most intelligent man i've ever met this is my business and i'm very good at it He tried try and cut me out man just don't do it to you You're just chasing a shadow i want him out of here give me the police please This isn't a moral question, Patricia. This is a game.
0: Hello, Patty. It's nothing personal. God forbid he ever makes it personal.
2: All I gotta do with you, Patty. Pacific Heights.
0: This is Pacific Heights, a.k.a. The Tenant from Hell, starring Melanie Griffith, Matthew Modine, Michael Keaton, Lori Metcalf, and a little bit part by Beverly D'Angelo, directed by John Schlesinger and written by Daniel Pine. So far, this is the earliest of these 90s movies that we're talking about coming out in September of 1990 and a relative sleeper hit with $55 million at the box office. Not bad. Yeah,
1: and probably the most prestigious director of all the movies directed the Best Picture winner, uh, Midnight Cowboy. So this movie, to me, I think has a situation that a lot of these type of movies do, where the first half is such a great build that the second half is kind of a, a letdown. This movie's like
0: really you feel that way
1: a little bit. Huh. Yeah, you know, I feel like this movie's like really front loaded, and then the movie takes a different turn. I think than a lot of these other movies where. Um, and you mentioned this off mic that the Melanie Griffith character, uh, really comes into her own. She kind of takes over the situation and actually kind of starts like hunting down the Michael Keaton character after he's pretty much ruined their lives. Their, their dream of buying this beautiful home in San Francisco, Michael Keaton becomes their tenant because in the beginning, it kind of shows that they're sort of liberal racist because they don't rent to the African-American guy who has all the paperwork and everything and he comes in the play later on, kind of bites him in the butt, but they end up renting to Michael Keaton who doesn't have all the paperwork but he drives up in the Porsche and so he flashes some money. and
0: he barely flashes any money. Yeah, yeah.
1: but then, but then uh, moves in and immediately starts like tearing apart his apartment and not paying them the money and we kind of get a crash course in how...
0: The horrors of being a property owner.
1: Yeah, yeah. And also the uh, uh, sort of rules against like if people are squatters rights, Mm, you know, if someone stays for X amount of time, you can't like kick them out anymore. And man, it gets pretty intense. Like you feel really bad for this couple, but the racist thing in the beginning, you know, when you're watching now, you're like, well, should have like been more honest and not as judgy. And now, kind of, you know, things got turned on you. But that's the—I mean, that's why they put that in the movie, yeah. so that you, it can come back later. But
0: I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this is really all Matthew Modine's fault. He is purposefully icing out his girlfriend in in finding a tenant, and surprisingly, she's the one doing most of the repair around the building. Yeah. But I I do think that Matthew Modine he invites this he's he's not making good decisions that first interaction that we have with michael keaton it's obvious the man is lying and if you are buying if you're buying that guy's words just because he's white like he is he is serving up yeah. big horse load of manure i'll tell you that
1: Th- this movie really plays i think on the fears of like owning a home it's got a little bit of money pit to it there is if you've ever i've never rented to anybody um I do have a mortgage, but I've never rented to anybody. I would be terrified, you know, regardless of this movie. But, you know, you just don't know if the person you're renting to is going to start, yeah. you know, slowly damaging your home. That You know, Michael Keaton's character ends up outright doing all kinds of weird shit. I don't even know what he's doing in there. Some of it's, like, alluded to. He's got another person in there. They're, like, breeding cockroaches. I think I mean, that
0: that's part of the part yeah, to the, drive there's, them out. Yeah, there's
1: a, there's a whole, like, but he has this whole scam that he runs, but... It's very strange, and man, Michael Keaton doing a really great job of like playing a really creepy, mean-spirited, evil character that I hadn't really seen him play up into that point. And still, when I watch this movie, I think he's the highlight of the movie. Of course, I do find this movie to be like, I'm real excited the first half, and then it kind of downshifts, you know, in the second act, but I enjoy it all, all the same and really great character study of getting stuck in a situation that you can't get out of. And then trying to having to like resort to like extreme measures to fix the situation because you can't get any help from the police. Uh, you know, the city's telling you, well, this guy's got rights now, you know, you should have done this or you did everything wrong. It does a good job of explaining that and not so much of a hokey way. I think it's a nice way how they lay out the story and, in the situation
0: it's kind of a horror movie about restraint because they can't do anything they can't kick him out because we're you know we're learning about squatters rights throughout the movie yeah i I hear what you're saying about how the movie kind of changes in the middle and melanie griffith kind of takes over the story honestly at some point what else are you going to do with the movie i like that it took the turn that it did the first time i hadn't seen this before you showed this to me uh, a couple years ago when it does take that turn, for me, it gives it kind of a a breath of fresh air. And this is a movie where I can't help but think about how much debt that they're sinking into because of the damage he's doing to the house, because Matthew Modine keeps effing himself up or getting like thrown in jail or put in the hospital because Michael Keaton's setting him up. I just can't help but be weighed down (laughs) by the horrors of the money that they're losing. And they're I mean, they can't afford the mortgage payments on this place. It's just, it's a nightmare. So by the time Melanie Griffith kind of takes over the story and turns into, you know, hunting down Michael Keaton where he's gone now that he's abandoned them and their situation, I'm hopeful for the first time in an hour into this movie. For once, I'm actually hopeful. So I get what you're saying, that it feels like it takes a turn and, and changes. But I liked that aspect. And the payoff, because you hate Michael Keaton so yes. much, is wonderful.
1: Very good struggle. Very good payoff.
0: And for animal folks that are concerned about the cat, I mean, you know what? We said no spoilers. But the the cat has a prominent role throughout this film. Yeah, And, uh, you know... It's it's maybe one of the best out of out of all of these movies so. that we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. You know,
1: I think this is a a top three for me. You know, as far as these kind of movies go, I've probably seen this one off and on like every three or four years. If I see it streaming for sure, now I at least pop it on for like thirty or forty minutes. And I don't know. Again, I think it's to me. Uh, this goes back to. Um, when I see an actor do like a a particular role like this, I'd love to see uh, more like menacing Michael Keaton roles.
0: Oh yeah. I would definitely love to see more roles from him Um, for this movie in particular because Keaton plays it so well. I would have liked to have seen more torment and humiliation of his character in this movie because that's how much I didn't like him. Um, But it is a really Stressful but entertaining movie. If those things can be intertwined, um, it is that to a T. I I really enjoy this movie.
1: Yeah, and I feel like the success of this movie did kind of kick off the surge of these type of movies in the 90s. You know, this was the 1990, the start of a lot of these type of, like, tight, calculating, like, someone comes into someone's lives and starts messing shit up.
0: Yeah, you're stuck in a situation where you feel like you can't, there's no other outcome. Yeah, yeah.
1: The next movie hasn't aged the best since it came out, depending on how you feel about police enforcement, but it's one of the more fun movies out of these. It has a trashy element, but it also kind of, it's like an action-y type thriller. Love the leads, Ray Liotta and Kurt Russell, and that's Unlawful Entry. You know how I feel? Watch a man come into my own home, attack my own wife, and I can't do anything about it? I'm never going to be in that position again.
0: Oh, Michael. Hey. You remember Officer Davis? Oh,
2: yeah. How you doing? I didn't recognize you. You had a uniform. Hey, I'm going to make sure that your block's patrolled all night long. Would you like to go get a cup of
1: coffee? You're safe with me. I'm a cop, remember?
0: What's going on? What the hell are you talking about?
1: You and Pete. He wants you. He thinks you want him. We're staying away from this guy. You got it. (laughs) I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. How do I get a cop off my back?
2: Here it is, 5000 You walk away and don't mess with my, my bribe, Mikey. Mikey. Call it whatever you want, Pete. I don't know what's going on with Michael. <laughs> He's losing it. This guy's uh, a decorated. decorated officer you're accusing. Him.
1: I don't care how many medals he has. I want this taken care of.
2: He's making up these stories.
1: think so maybe you're overreacting a little
2: bit? He threatened to kill me last night. <laughs> how do you suggest I react to that? These wild accusations about me, Mr.
0: Carr, is there something personal in this?
2: I told you he was dangerous. What's it gonna take? Me in a body bag?
0: Anything I seem to do it makes it worse.
1: I got a cop who wants my wife. you here lock the door. Do it. <laughs>
0: Righty. unlawful entry. This is the authority figure from hell. Starring Kurt Russell, Ray Liotta, and Madeline Stowe. Directed by Jonathan Kaplan and written by a couple different guys. Uh, Lewis Collick, Ken Friedman, George Putnam, and John Katchmere. This came out in June, the summer of 1992, to a decent box office return. That's another
1: little sleeper hit. Yeah. And this was uh, one that I caught after Ray Liotta passed away. R.I.P. This was one that I hadn't seen, man, maybe since it came out, and then watched it and really, really enjoyed it. And then once we started putting this episode together, I was kind of excited to revisit it again. And yeah, I just I love the flow of this movie. I love the buildup. I love these are the kind of movies that any American male like has been in this situation where another male is like questioning their manhood in some sort of situation where you know you feel compelled to like. Not be yourself, and you have to be like oh, I'm going to be a man in this one. I'm going to, you know, shoot this gun, or I'm going to do this. And there's a lot of tension-filled scenes in this, and because Kurt Russell himself is a pretty manly guy, it's interesting to see him in a situation where he's a little more submissive. And Ray Liotta is like the the bully, and it's set up in a really good way where Ray Liotta kind of brings Kurt Russell into his life of like oh, man, I can break the rules because I'm a law enforcement officer and I have all this power. And at first, because Kurt Russell wants to protect his family because there was a home invasion, you know, he welcomes it. He's like, oh, this isn't a bad deal. You know, it would be not bad to have a friend who's a cop who could help you out if need be. And then it gets really sour really quickly. And Ray Liotta, his no stranger to playing uh, just out-of-control roles, um, really ramps it up in this one, and I really enjoy his performance in the interplay between him and Kurt Russell.
0: I like the setup of Ray Liotta's character testing Kurt Russell so much. The true depths of uh, just how depraved his character is, just like how um, with the temp that we see how she kills a a hornet during the luncheon, we have Ray Liotta, he tracks down the guy that broke into Kurt Russell's house, gets Kurt Russell and says, you said you wanted to come beat the shit out of him, so here's your chance do it. That challenge is uh, that shows not only like the challenge of of machoism and of manhood, but also shows where his morals are. That's the moment that at least Kurt Russell's character isn't a dummy, and he knows that, oh, this is a giant red flag. We need to not have this guy in our lives. So I think on top of this being the authority figure, Certainly an interloper type of story, um, trying to involve himself in this family and trying to ice out Kurt Russell. Under the guise of trying to, I guess, minorly seduce Madeline Stowe, I'd say he's more of like a, a psychopath type of character. We don't have him set up as a, a serial killer type, but certainly a more of a, a stalker type But I don't think that we would veer into this being a stalker movie. This still lies within kind of our criteria and our rules for this obsession movie because it is his obsession which fuels us. And also Ray Liotta's law enforcement partner, played by Roger Mosley, who also played TC from Magnum PI, for those fans out there, he lets us know, too, that um, his partner... Has a history of getting obsessed with people and not being able to let it go. It's not really like a big plot element, but it's enough for the audience to go oh this isn't the first time that he's done this so it's clear that this is more in the obsession vein that that this is something within this guy's psyche that it's not really about madeline stowe it's not about kurt russell it's about this is what his brain is trained to do and and what he does and it's kind of it makes his character a lot scarier i think in that way
1: outside of everything genre it's like really well-made movie like uh, Jonathan Kaplan. I I think a very wildly talented director did one of my favorite movies out of the 70s, Over the Edge, directed The Accused, and did a lot of like late 70s, early 80s movies, like character type study movies that also involved a little action and some suspense. And I think like this is a perfect combination of that where they're really well-defined characters, but then the tension keeps ramping up, and then it feels well-deserved, like the climax. Not really a lot of wasted moments in this movie, I feel like, it doesn't exceed its running time, which I can't always say is the case for a lot of these type of movies.
0: Madeline So's character is a little irritating to me. She submits a lot more than what I would like her to, but I, you know, I can't say that if I weren't in that situation with someone who's obviously like has a problem that I wouldn't do the same thing. This movie really does write on Ray Liotta and Kurt Russell. I think Madeline Stowe is a great actor. I just don't think that this character was brought out the the best in in what she has to offer a role.
1: They kind of leave her waiting in the Wings, but at the same time, I do think mainly this movie is like two guys going toe to toe, and that's like yeah. front and center. Yeah, and they're making like no bones about it. It's like that's that's the essence of this movie is these two guys butting heads, and who's going to give in?
0: Yeah, Um the ending is is pretty bloody too. It's a it's a good one. It's, yeah, it's um uh, it's brutal.
1: This one, if you if you're a fan of Kurt Russell, and th- I think this is one of his more underseen movies. If you're a fan of Kurt Russell and you like Ray Liotta, and you haven't seen this one if you can find it streaming um it, it kind of has been going in and out of streaming i don't know what the deal is but of course soon as we decided we were gonna do this movie i couldn't uh, find it streaming anymore so i had to buy a copy of it on ebay which was fine I- i'm glad yeah. i have it in the collection now
0: yeah and thank you for letting me borrow it i my version is taped and it's not that great um you know, I'm going to retract my statement that I made about Pacific Heights and the cat being one of the best of this grouping of movies we're talking about here. I might actually say Tiny the Cat played by Merv has a pretty important role in the climax of this movie. So, be on the lookout for that.
1: Nice shout out to Merv.
0: <laughs> when you know their names when they're listed in the credits, that not every movie does that. And yeah. they they listed Merv in these credits. You you got to you got to give a shout out. Come on.
1: So we're coming down to our final two movies here. This next one is one that I hadn't seen since the 90s. And you watched it and we kind of talked about it a little bit. we're like, no, it fits the criteria. It's going on the list. And so this was the one I I, I down got down to the wire here. I watched this one. You were like, like
0: what, what's it going to be? Two this day, one or two this days one? <laughs> yeah, two days ago. I was
1: like, is it on the list? I have to watch it tonight. I'm running out of time. But anyway, I started watching it. And I didn't remember a lot about this movie other than I did remember Drew Barrymore doing a really effective job as the lead character, and that's Poison Ivy.
2: So what are you busting for?
1: Uh. i got to keep a certain grade point average. I'm slipping in biology.
0: My name is Sylvie Cooper.
2: Like most 15-year-olds, what Sylvie Cooper wanted more than anything else was a best friend.
0: Everybody hates me. Oh, everybody hates me, too. Do you want
2: to come over? Someone to talk to. Wow, this is great. Someone to understand her. Oh, Ivy, this is my mom, Georgie, till death. Someone like Ivy. It's nice and cool in here. Um, I missed my ride. No. Dad, she's my best friend. But Ivy didn't just want a friend. Ivy wanted more. I hope that when I die, I'll have owned a sports car, had a family, a home. And she'd do anything to get it. Hello, Mr. Cooper. Care for anything? won't ever happen again. Please, stop! Babe, I want to hear you say it! Are you accusing me of something? Why did you do something? No, Fred, come here. No, Fred, come here.
1: We can all be together now. We can all
2: be a family.
0: Poison Ivy, the best friend from hell, starring Sarah Gilbert, Drew Barrymore, Tom Skerritt, and Cheryl Ladd, directed by Kat Shea, also co-written by Kat Shea, Melissa Goddard, and Andy Rubin. This uh, came out in 1992. It was actually nominated for the Grand Prize for Best Film at the Sundance Film Festival the same year that Reservoir Dogs was also nominated for that. It didn't fare very well. It was in limited release with just in 20 theaters, um, so the box office ended up being like just shy of 2 million, but it did gain a fair word of mouth um, on cable and um, home video rental. I know that that's how I, I didn't see it in the theater, obviously. I don't think any, any of us did here in the Midwest, but um, definitely saw this on TV more than a few times. I'm sure I saw the edited version, though.
1: I totally thought this was a made-for-cable um, movie, but the uh, makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the only independent film of of all the movies we're talking about today, no big budget Hollywood movie, though it has some very notable actors in it. Oh yeah, and you bring up the uh, unrated version, which was the version that I watched on the DVD I had, and I
0: want, I kind of want to watch it.
1: I'm only assuming that the unrated version I saw was like the racier uh, portions of Drew Barrymore with Tom Skerritt and.
0: Does this movie make you more uncomfortable than The Crush?
1: It doesn't make me more uncomfortable than The Crush because (laughs) Drew Barrymore's a little bit older and older looking. Yeah, but Tom Skerritt is, like, much, much older than Cary Ellis. He's, like, I think he was, like, almost pushing 60 when he did this movie. And there's a really long scene. It almost looks like they had a body double because they frame out Drew Barrymore's face except for like wide shots where they're not doing much and then the close ups it's gets a a little more sexual. This is man, this is a strange movie. I don't know what I I don't know exactly what I think of this movie. It's it fits this genre so well because it hits on all these things we've been talking Mm -hmm. about and all of our rules. Um but the way that Drew Barrymore plays it is like very unusual and the fact that we have like Sarah Gilbert doing this like hokey narration over it so it's almost like this coming of age story and then it sort of gets trashier and trashier and then we throw in this sort of weird subplot with tom scarrett's wife and it's like she has some sort of disease where she's dying but she actually looks like fantastic yeah but then but she also needs this like oxygen tank it's there's a lot going on this movie and a lot of uh manipulation above all like the the reason to watch is drew barrymore some really good early work of her doing this character that kind of goes out of control i think she did that in like three or four movies in the 90s and Mm -hmm. does it really well i can i know why she kept going back to it yeah really great title too
0: and we still don't know what Ivy's real name is. No. That's that's Drew Barrymore. And even though the movie is called Poison Ivy, this is Sarah Gilbert's story. And I like that it doesn't deter from that, even though we have, I know, Justin, you never really like narration, even though we have that throughout the movie. That's I like, not
1: true. There's three movies that I like to have narration.
0: <laughs> only three out of all the movies in the world. Only three. Um... But I do like that it sticks to Sarah Gilbert's story, um, that it is her telling it, because it could very, very easily go into following more of Drew Barrymore um, than staying from Gilbert's point of view. I also like the degree of manipulation that happens in this. At her first opportunity, Ivy gets the chance to start manipulating and changing things to make it so she's getting into this family one way or another. But there's something about the Ivy character that I don't completely hate. Um, Like with The Crush, I don't like Alicia Silverstone at all. She's terrible. She's annoying. She's the worst. But Poison Ivy sets us up with two girls who are both troubled kids. They are doing the teenager thing where they're lying about who they are. And through that, they actually eventually come out and tell their truths. Well, kind of versions of their truths to each other. I think it does a really good job of setting up the toxic dynamic that can exist between two girls of that age. But with that being said, Ivy really pulls some shenanigans that are just inexcusable. Whether, I mean, yes, seducing dad is pretty bad, but not just seducing dad, but like seducing dad in front of his wife while she is passed out. It's pretty messed up. It's pretty bad. There's a part where she and Sarah Gilbert are in a car accident and she's driving and she wakes up and Gilbert's passed out and then she like maneuvers her body over into the driver's seat to make it look like it was her. There's just a lot of a lot of elements in this movie that don't necessarily make you think that Ivy's a victim in some way, yeah. but you do get that she's come from a crappy background, that there's something about her that's made her this way that it's almost a survival technique like you were saying this is a weird movie it's a it's a weird tone and i get why teenagers and young girls especially in the early 90s why you would identify or really seek out this movie because there was there was a truthfulness to this when
1: yeah and there is a little more depth to it and i also like that the sarah gilbert character she isn't like so naive i mean she gets that ivy's kind of taking advantage of her but it's entertaining for her a little bit to have someone who's kind of cuts loose in her life because she's wants to be that person but she's more straight-laced than she'd like to let on. There's a nice dynamic there that it, there's like little things underneath throughout the movie. Man, what this movie really lacks to me when i was watching it, it would have been awesome if they had a little bit of i know it was an independent film, but if there would have been a little bit bigger budget for music and they would have had wall to wall like kind of 90 early 90s like indie bands Man, would this movie have like really, really been a time capsule for early '90s?
0: And it had to have been set in the Pacific Northwest, yeah. Right? I feel yeah, like it. And it had such a grunge tone, and coming out in '92, yeah, you're right. It, it
1: felt very. If that was the one thing I was like, man, this should, this should just be like wall to wall Neil drops.
0: Man, that would have I would have really amped it up. I mean, they just didn't have the budget, but still. Yeah. You are right about that.
1: Uh, one uh claim the fame this movie has though. I believe, I'm not 100% sure, but I believe it's the first on-screen film appearance of Leonardo DiCaprio who's credited as the guy. It's like a blink and you miss him role.
0: I missed it. I yeah. when I saw that in the credits. I think I he, like, he had a larger
1: he? section that got cut it got edited down.
0: Okay.
1: You know, I'm I'm sure after he blew up after Titanic, someone was like digging around trying to find like the <laughs> outtakes to like do a recut.
0: Um, another um, aspect with this movie, along with pitting family members against each other, bringing up the dog element. I mean, the dog's pretty important in this, and especially the struggle between these two uh, leads of ours.
1: Absolutely. Well, this uh, I, this was a good revisit for me. I, I I enjoyed it. I'd recommend Poison Ivy if you haven't seen it. And there's, I don't know anything. I, I guess there's like maybe two sequels. I've not seen any of these.
0: I haven't either. Uh, Alyssa Milano's in the second one, yeah. right? Um, how do you feel Poison Ivy holds up in a 2023 standard?
1: I think it holds up pretty good. I like that there's the female perspective versus um, more of the a couple in a relationship or their inner strife. I like that it's a it does have a coming-of-age vibe to it that, that fits really, really well. Um, I think it holds up pretty good in 2023.
0: I agree with you, and I also like that we don't completely hate the villain. Yeah, right at the end of the movie.
1: Well, we get down to our final movie, which is a a villain that we do hate. This might be the biggest scumbag of all the yeah the obsession thriller movies.
0: I think it's the reason I can't stand to watch him in anything ever. It, it,
1: it is a... Uh, man, I I liked this movie when it came out, but like watching it is like God, they were you know. <laughs> It was just like you really. Uh, if you were if Mark Wahlberg was worried about being like labeled the bad guy, this movie <laughs> could have like really derailed his like the start of his career in that sphere.
2: Oh la la! It's <laughs> being so obvious. You want you bad? No, you're not at all like what I expect you to be. The first time I saw you, oh so you're just sweet. Dad, meet David McCall. Pleasure to meet you, sir. Same here, dude. Nicole's curfew is 12 o'clock. All right. Hello? Yeah. You remember that song and
1: dance about David in some perfect little town back east?
0: Something like that.
1: Well, guess again. He's got no family, no address, no work record. It's the big deal. The big deal, Laura, is that the guy gives me the creeps, and the girl is my daughter.
2: It's all about David. There's
1: something wrong with
2: But him. your problem with
0: David, not mine. He's mom.
2: not a good guy. Well, this is gonna stop. Tell me
0: you need me. I need you, David. Thanks,
2: Steve. The friends are practically family. The guy is a psychopath. everybody wants but nobody has that's why they're trying to keep us apart disappear from my family's life you got that guess who we should have allowed nature to take its course <laughs> in the end it will anyway mr walker you okay oh. so let me know go to court lock your door the phone's dead <laughs>
0: All right, wrapping up our grouping here is Fear, a.k.a. The First Love from Hell, starring Reese Witherspoon, Mark Wahlberg, William Peterson, Amy Brenneman, and Alyssa Milano. This was directed by James Foley, written by Christopher Crowe. Came out in April of 96 to a pretty, I mean, for a, a teen movie about um, an abusive relationship, $20 million at the box office kids were going to see this i know i went to go see it and there was definitely a particular scene of this movie that all the girls couldn't stop talking about
1: this was definitely a big i worked in the theater whenever this came out and like yeah i had the movie poster and yeah this was a big one for me and also i was kind of talking about with poison ivy this one did have the music budget so they had the wall to wall 90s music with bush and the sundays uh cover of wild horses which appeared in the infamous uh Roller coaster scene. One thing I've noticed about all these movies that we have been covering, most of them are made by pretty solid notable directors uh, for this one, James Foley. he did uh, at Close Range and Glengarry Glen Ross. and this movie I think does have really really well staged, well edited, feels a little more personal and a little more uh, signature to a director than you know just sort of like your run-of the mill stalker obsession movie.
0: For a story that isn't um, something that's unfamiliar uh, territory, it certainly does have a sense of style and doesn't feel like I've seen, oh, I've seen a million fears, even though maybe I have in subject matter, but not that look like this or that um, have as great of his cast actually as this too. What I had forgotten most upon this revisit is, um, I mean, I remembered the reason that I probably don't like watching Mark Wahlberg in a lot of movies is fear this is the root of it um but i forgot how brutal it is i forgot how just how much of a manipulator um this guy really is so much so that it's it's nauseating really to watch him do the the fake crying and like the the deep throat like yeah choking back my tears type of thing it's repulsive on top of the fact i can't stand to watch him kiss the infantile looking reese witherspoon in this movie it's it might be even more disturbing than Alicia Silverstone in The Crush, we both
1: uh, commented on this off the mic to each other. Is like after watching this, it's like, man, Reese Witherspoon looks like a little kid in this movie. It's weird because Election mm-hmm. comes out like three years later, and she looks so much. She looks so grown, but studio approved in the nineties. I just don't know that they would go that route now. Um, but man, he really is an intimidating guy in this and. You know, of all the things that you heard about Mark Wahlberg about around this time, you know, he seemed like he wasn't a very nice guy and kind of was cocky and intimidate, you know, intimidated people. And he really plays it up in this movie. And I think this was the movie that they were using as his launching pad. I mean, he did a couple of co-starring roles in like Basketball Diaries and Renaissance Man. But this was like. Kind of and he's really good his, in those. Yeah, he is, yeah. and and he's good in this. I mean, he's yeah. he's a he's a really good villain. I mean, I really do hate this guy. It's like <laughs> praying for his death by the end of this movie. You know, especially because this kind of turns into a a home invasion movie, like before home invasion movies became a big thing. And it's a really uh kind of traumatizing event here, like him terrorizing. Because he kind of brings his buddies along. It's not just him. He's got like almost like a little gang with him.
0: And there is that push-pull thing with the machoism between... Mark Wahlberg and William Peterson, who plays Reese Witherspoon's dad. Um, while he is a good guy, he's a good dad, he's an overprotective father. And also not saying that that's, you know, does one maybe turn into the other? Does abusive boyfriend turn into overprotective father later on in life? I don't know if we're making a comment on that. But certainly two different versions of being a macho male that are both trying to control this young girl. Yeah,
1: we have like a little bit of a original side plot here because... He's not necess- he's terrorizing Reese Witherspoon a little bit, but he kinda goes after her father, which is like a kind of a different target this movie takes. Like it sidesteps the sort of straightaway thriller where it's just the obsession on one person, but he actually starts like trying to ruin her dad's reputation because the dad has you know, he's he's like, I'm not down with your relationship.
0: Yeah. Everything that's getting in the way of him taking this girl out of her family into his possession anything that gets in the way of that is fair game i mean he um has his way with her best male friend and also that sounds like he had sex with him sorry any target that is is possible whether it's reese witherspoon's male friend or or Alyssa milano uh who he knows outside of reese witherspoon but who's witherspoon's friend too um milano strangely doesn't look as babyish as Reese Witherspoon, which is a a little why it's kind of excusable. What's what's happening in there regarding her for as small of a part as she has, she does it really well. Yeah, and and it's a, an important part for her to play. And there's kind of a crux for her character, how she's relating to Witherspoon, her best friend. Um, I really feel for yeah, her. you.
1: Feel legitimately terrible for Ali- yeah. for Alyssa Milano in this movie. Yes, yeah, and. Out of all the movies we've talked about, this one probably has the biggest WTF moment where he carves Nicole forever into his chest. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what is happening? Alarming.
0: <laughs> so alarming. And, and, you know, along, uh, we, we mentioned the roller coaster uh, being a memorable scene. The other scene that I think of is when the home invasion starts. And it's, I mean, it's pretty, it's in the trailer where it's Mark Wahlberg's face close up through the eye hole of the door and William Peterson's on the other side. It's legitimately terrifying.
1: I had forgotten that William Peterson is in this and I I love him in any movie. So it's always great to see him pop Mm -hmm. up in some of these movies. I didn't, I definitely did not enjoy this movie like I had when I was younger. This movie just felt like much more mean spirited and. Man, doesn't really like hold up well in 2023 as well as some of these other movies do. Man, he's just really, really nasty to these women in this movie.
0: I did notice something uh, during the climax of the movie with the home invasion. Again, there's another animal in this. This is a Kaiser played by Banner. Very good German shepherd actor. I had forgotten that there wouldn't have been any help sent to their rescue, to this family's rescue, if it weren't for this traumatized kid who only really identifies with this dog. It's like Mm -hmm. the love of his life is this dog who he finds later. um, And he's the reason why the police show up. And this child runs over a man with a car. Like, it's... it's the, it's a little extreme.
1: The this portion of the movie, like <laughs> these other movies have like some pretty good struggles. This one's a little it's a little lopsided. It's it goes on way too long. It does go on for a very yeah. long
0: time. I somehow William Peterson enacting some inner inhuman strength um when he Gets rid of Mark Wahlberg at the end. I'm yeah. I'm amazed. It so, felt
1: it felt like uh, the last twenty minutes of the script just said like some stuff's gonna happen at the house. <laughs> you know, some nefarious things will go down between the family and this gang.
0: I feel like that thing where people say if you take PCP, you can lift up a car, and like yeah. you don't even know your own strength. That's what happens to William Peterson at the yeah. end of the movie. I'm here for it, though. I mean, really, Mark Wahlberg needs to go away.
1: But watching this movie, I wouldn't have expected boogie nights after fear <laughs> it's it's wild that these movies are like back to back oh my almost. god they are i know that's the it's next kind of year yeah but oh. as much as uh you know mark Wahlberg was kind of despised in this era you know this early yeah. era like kind of the Machuism and the uh, chauvinism and the racism I, I still think this is kind of a banger i know a lot of people don't like it it's like the cheesy moment of his career this is where this is where he came from we know who you are you you can start a song and you're just kind of talking through it's like the longest (laughs) intro ever but it still works and i love it
0: i don't think there's anything wrong with that i don't think so he needs to respect his roots
1: i do it seems like he doesn't we do yeah i don't think he does yeah but i'm gonna stop i'm gonna turn this off but this is one I think it's like if it's streaming, it's it's worth watching. Um, I think it was a good way to bookend these eight movies that we talked about. Man, we watched a lot of movies because we didn't just watch these movies. There was all these outlier movies. Oh yeah, there were movies Guys. where we were like, it was on Ooh. the line, like Good Son, uh, Play Misty for Me. Um, we went we went the gamut for these sort of like psychological thrillers, obsession movies, stalker movies. And there's a lot of good stuff out there, not just these movies that I think kind of fit. It's If you play by our rules, you have to, you, you know, you eliminate a lot of these, but there's a lot of good ones here if you want to just run through a few that, yeah. that we watched because I feel like we watched like 30 movies for this episode.
0: I, uh, enough to make... Um, A list of the genre types that are that are these outliers like, you know, you mentioned the good son. That would be the killer kid. Yes. And we
1: kind of talked about that. It's like I wouldn't put that in this list because I have rules for the killer kid movies and that would be a top three killer kid movie. Why would I put it in this list?
0: Yeah. Um, we've got the stalker movie. I think the classic stalker movies uh, can often be erotic thrillers. Um, you know, we've got basic instinct, we've got fatal attraction, um, those sorts of things. Even play misty for me, though. I wouldn't say it's an erotic thriller by any, No, it's no, more, it's like, that's your stalker genre. And
1: I almost feel like that's like the gr- laid the groundwork for like a fatal attraction, mm-hmm. but yeah.
0: And if I can, for just a moment, play misty for me directed by Clint Eastwood, starring Clint Eastwood, and also Jessica Walter, who plays Lucille One in Arrested Development. I feel like people don't know that she did a movie where she is an insane, absolutely shit, crazy stalker i think she does a wonderful job at it um i don't know justin had you seen this before
1: i i don't think i thought that i'd seen it but i i don't think i had and man it was great this was a great watch i was kind of surprised me because it's so it's it was like 1970 71, 71 yeah. and it has that really slow 70s setup with the Mm -hmm. character and i love the way clint eastwood plays this because you don't normally see this uh character played this way where he's kind of really calm about the whole thing she like shows up at his house and he's just she's like yelling and the neighbor comes out and she starts honking her own. he's like hey hey you know guys guys is trying to sleep you know he's very matter of fact about the whole thing and he's not getting flustered about it you know just sort of like you know next time call me you know And, (laughs) and she's already like bringing in groceries like doesn't even know him it's it's Right away, we as an audience know things are off, but he's playing it so cool that you go along with it and then you don't real. It almost sets you up for not realizing how crazy things are about to get.
0: Like, you know that she's off and that she's yeah. not taken, that he's not trying to start a relationship yeah. with you. Man, you guys slept together a couple times. You're just his listener on the radio and he's a fancy DJ. But no. It's how uh, how far Jessica Walter takes it is. I gotta say, it's really impressive. And if you're a fan of her on Arrested Development, you have to go back and watch Play Misty for Me.
1: Yeah, really, really. The only unbelievable thing watching Play Misty for Me is Donna Mills was in it. (laughs) Or no, how much a a DJ in Carmel, California, gets paid, and (laughs) that he can afford beachside property.
0: You could not be more right about that. I mean, who knows what DJs make these days? But um, certainly not to the fame that Glenn Eastwood's character is supposed to have.
1: Yeah, just a couple other movies here that we watched that kind of surprised me. Black Widow, I'd never seen that before. Oh yeah, and uh, Deborah Winger. Yeah, actually, man, I couldn't find that one streaming either. I
0: it's a hard up, one. Yeah. I end
1: up uh, buying the laser disc from on eBay for like six dollars. Yeah, I love you. It, did, <laughs> it worked out.
0: Um, Deborah Winger, uh, Teresa Russell, and Tom Berenger.
1: And a movie that I knew wasn't going to make our list, but I was like, man, I'm going to watch this because I hadn't seen it in a little while, uh, Cape Fear.
0: You know what, though? It it fits in the stalker genre. It does
1: fit in the stalker genre, but everything is kind of like laid out right in the beginning. You know, he's just like, I'm going to mess up your life, like within like 10 minutes of the movie. I mean, we love Scorsese, and this is a movie that I don't think it's talked about enough. Like, go back and rewatch Cape Fear. It is long-winded. It's a little excess. Man, I really, really enjoyed the last watch of this. This is kind of something where I want to, like, program in my backyard for, like, a summer movie.
0: Oh, my God, you would? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, mean, I love this movie, but yeah. It's a crap. little
1: long. It's a little long for not, a backyard movie, but...
0: Not because of the length. But, it's man, just... it
1: it really sucks me in, but brutal. A couple brutal parts.
0: Yeah, it's really good. I forget what episode, but I did that for a pick of the week some episodes ago. Um, you know, this was, um, an offshoot of, this was another offshoot as the comedic spin on this obsession genre movies like the cable guy or she devil, even you brought up house guests, you know, yeah,
1: and, uh, neighbors.
0: Yeah. Neighbors. So you see how the the genre gets played with and how there are so many different offshoots that even with something like Kate Fear or Stalker movies, the ones that we're not talking about, they focus on the villain's point of view, um, which is kind of what we wanted to stay away from because it does kind of teeter into mm, a little bit more, a little bit meaner at times.
1: And a lot of these have been really big successes, like Sleeping with the Enemy. We know that he's a bad guy in the beginning and he stalks her. But time and time again, these movies are big successes because I think that we as an audience... We want to see someone go through some turmoil and be tormented by somebody, but we want to see that tormentor really get it in the end. It's like you're you're watching them do all these terrible things so that you can see them totally get killed in the end of the movie. More uh, addicted to true crime, and I think that these are just like these impressions of those true crime movies played out in a more trashy and stylistic fashion
0: give me that all day long watching someone else's trauma from my couch and yeah. being entertained before I forget this was another one that fits into kind of the interloper genre but was fun to watch like that thing where I'm watching from the couch and like so happy it's not happening to yeah. me was bad influence I don't think did you get a chance I did, to watch that was That was
1: the one I didn't get that was the one where I was like I only have time to watch one more movie, Bad Influence or Poison Ivy, and I'm you glad, said Poison Ivy. I'm glad
0: you went with Poison Ivy, because yeah. that fit. Bad Influence did not fit our criteria, but um, stars James Spader and Rob Lowe. I'd never seen it before. Started out kind of like a little bit of a Lifetime movie, but I swear to God, halfway through, I was thinking, is this like Fight Club meets American Psycho? Because, I mean, it's not a- as good as either one of those movies, like aesthetically or, or whatever, story-wise, but it is absolutely wild
1: you've got you've got me interested in this in, one i gotta watch it
0: in the way that it does fit is being um the new friend new person that's inserted into your life and tries to um influence it in some way tries to change you make you a better person but is really like the worst scum of the earth and is actually ruining your entire life um, that was a happy surprise throughout all of these movies that uh that we watched
1: there's also the uh, subgenre of movies where there's like an obsession thriller type thing, but it's like a like a twin exploitation subgenre of the thriller where someone's messing with someone. It turns out that it's their twin, or they have, or they have a twin. They didn't know they had twin, or the twin is killing people and trying to frame the their twin. And uh, yeah, it it goes on and on. There's I feel like there's always these these subgenres of offshoots of the thriller obsession genre.
0: I should have said this when you brought up Black Widow, but one of the uh, the ringers for this uh, this subgenre was the revenge story, which Black Widow falls into along with um, a little bit of Double Jeopardy and also Eye for an Eye. All of these movies where we have a horrible thing, a horrible incident that happens to an, an innocent, whether it be a family or a child or, or someone, someone that's innocent, and the parent, someone that cares about the victim, then goes on a revenge kick to hunt down the the person who victimized to the the villain. I wanted it to fit in how we were talking about these movies, but it just didn't. But it certainly does in a subgenre of uh, flipping the obsession to being then on the quote unquote good guy, right? But they're doing things that aren't. Their end game is not something that's you know. I mean, they're yeah. gonna kill somebody.
1: Well, we should wrap things up. We're gonna wrap um, it up. Yeah. I wanna. Take a moment to say if you've listened this far, thank you so much. This was a, it's a little bit of an experimental episode for us. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed this because uh, when we do these episodes, we're usually focusing on one movie and extensively researching it. <laughs> and it was really, really refreshing to just sit down and watch a bunch of like trashy thriller type movies over the course of the last two weeks and kind of like come up with our rules of how these all fit into it. Um, are you I want, tired
0: of watching them?
1: I, I, you know, I'm I'm ready to take a little break. Really, I'm ready to take a little break. I'm but not. there's still, uh, there's a few movies, m- more modern type movies. You know, a lot of these are '90s based. Um, but one that really stuck out to me, I watched a couple that came out in the last like 10 years. One that I didn't even know existed, but when I started looking up these type of movies, it almost fit into our criteria, but we wanted to keep things '90s. Mm-hmm. It's The Resident with Hilary Swank. Man.
0: I saw that. This
1: has got a couple moments in it where you're like, dang. I mean, it gets pretty uh, pretty messed up. And Would that really, be like the
0: resident is in like tenant? Yeah, or? she's
1: like a resident okay. doctor, but then she's living. It's like sort of set up like she's he he's renting to her okay. and gets a really good deal versus like there's no place, you know, in a really hard area to get a good deal in. Okay. And it, then this guy's like, Gets really obsessed and does some really, really crazy things. You're going to want to watch this one. Yes, I think I you're going to be that really <laughs> into it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> highly recommend it.
0: Do you think, and this was a movie that you and I both like, and I don't think we would call it a, we don't really like the phrase guilty pleasure anyway, but yeah. but do you feel like the um, movie Ma from 2019 does it fit into this?
1: I do think it fits in more into the playful version you know where it uh toys with tone tonality because Mm -hmm. it starts out in like a thriller way but then it's kind of funny but then it gets real crazy um but i I do think it fits in a way and yeah i really enjoyed ma that was the one we actually i think we watched together we watched it together it was was a lot of fun yeah again this was a real pleasure Lindsay, to do this episode with you i hope that we try this again if we get a good response maybe we can look at other genres and kind of do sort of like an offshoot type episode um, where we don't just focus on one uh, feature that we talk about.
0: I would love to do that. I'm also curious what other genre or whatever particular vein of a genre that we could make rules for. That's one that we love just as much as this obsession. That's a tall order. Psychodrama thriller. That's a tall order. I know. I know. And I also got to say, I'm a, I love that you love this genre just as much as I do. It's trashy and wonderful and um, is more than a Saturday or Sunday afternoon movie. It's an any time type of movie.
1: I've been around the clock. I get off work and I'm (laughs) like, what what do I have? (laughs) What's a list of movies I need to like check one off my list? And it's been a blast.
0: Give me the blank from hell any day of the week.
1: Amen. Well, until next time, I'm Justin Johnson.
0: And I'm Lindsay Reaper. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, guys.